You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 53. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, welcome back, Jelena! Hee <laughs> Oh, thank you very much, guys. It's nice to be back. It's nice to have you back. Yeah, we missed you. Ah, I missed you too, guys. Good. Did you have a good time? Yes, I had a wonderful time in Mexico. Sunny coast of Mexico. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Plus 30 degrees and lots of sun and lots of margaritas. It's just not right to do it in the winter. It's. I think it's the the best time to do it. To be honest, um, I came back to London uh, into like plus twelve, which it, it wasn't too bad. I was expecting it to be much more like colder. Um, but yeah, not disappointed with the weather. All gloomy and doomy and rainy. Mm. Never mind. Do you have uh, snow, uh, Pontus? No, uh, but it is about around, uh, just around zero. And uh, this morning I had to s- scrape ice off the car. Uh, okay. Friend of mine who lives in Uppsala had snow. Well, okay, but that's, you know, 600 kilometers from here. A so. bit further north. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. And they always, they always have snowy winters in Uppsala for some reason. And she always posts the most amazing, you know, uh, picturesque uh, Christmassy pictures with like, red berries and white yeah, snow and trees beautiful. Ah, probably <laughs> uh, do you not get uh, too much snow uh, during the winters in Malmö oh we do sometimes but very often it comes uh, rather in January February oh okay um, is it because of the, the all the sea and, and everything you know I don't know you probably don't. okay yeah <laughs> it's okay. Not, not my area of expertise I don't I don't, I know I don't it's just I just live with it well, we we tried something that is absolutely not our area of expertise, which is surveying our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thanks very much to everyone. Yeah, thank you very much. It, it's very helpful. And I know there's uh, uh, there's some interesting data there and comments to, to, to ponder. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, we have an ongoing discussion about the results and how to int- interpret them and uh, what to do with them. Uh, I'm, I mean, not with the results. We're not going to just get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, I've, as as we've said uh, earlier, we want this show to be a useful tool. We want this show to be enjoyable and informative as well. So whatever we can to do that and to improve the show in that regard, uh, we will try to do it. Uh, starting in the new year next yeah. year, yeah, in the new year. From New Year's, we will do uh, some changes. Probably not with the first episode of the year. Mm. Yeah, it'll be a slow progress. <laughs> yeah, so be, uh, stay tuned for 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 the new features or good old features being gone or changed somewhat. Yeah, and by by all means, if you haven't uh, taken the survey yet, there's still chance to do it. We we welcome all uh, all comments we can get. Yes, exactly. Or you you can just get in contact with us and uh, let us know what you think. We always appreciate the feedback. We always appreciate your opinion. But I think for now, uh, we're just going to get on with the show uh, the usual way. So now that Yalana is back, 
let's start the show with uh, the usual on this day segment. I will be talking about an event that happened on the 19th of December 1956. Um, on this day, Irish-born physician called John Botkin Adams was arrested in connection with the suspicious deaths of more than 160 patients. Blimey. But eventually he is convicted only of um, minor charges. As I was reading on about this story, of course, I read about his life, etc. It's, it's a very frustrating case because it does become apparent to one who reads this story that he definitely was culpable uh, in murdering quite a lot of his elderly patients, but it was not wow. provable in court. So he virtually got away with murder. So there's a little bit of a, a sort of this pretext to the story that I'll, I'll tell you about quickly. He practiced in a seaside resort of Sussex um, that became very popular choice for those who were looking for a pleasant retirement home. Um, and there was no national health service and doctor's income um, and the practice depended on how willing uh, a doctor was to pay house calls on those who co could afford to pay for them. Um, and this Dr. Adams um, answered an advert uh, to join a team of Christian GPs in, in the town uh, of Sussex uh, shortly after scraping through his medical degrees. He didn't do that well in school at all and uh, like I said he just scraped by. And over the next 25 years um, it is widely believed he murdered hundreds of uh, his elderly patients with injections of morphine and heroin um, becoming in the process one of Britain's wealthiest GPs mm. uh, because um, what he did do he established relationship with his elderly patients he cut off any contact of those patients with their relatives and friends um, he adjusted their wills um, and I, I and I believe the way he could do it is because he they were all drugged up all the time he would he could basically manipulate them into doing and signing and saying things that needed to be said oh wow what a guy. <laughs> So, so there was like I think there was a documentary even made about his life, um, several books written, and one of the books, uh, the authors of one of the books says that she doesn't see Adams um, as a killer per se. I mean, he he liked to preside over death. Uh, he liked control. He arranged dozens of funerals for patients, um, and uh, he even probably saw himself as somewhat being a kind person to help them through. <laughs> In uh, you know, if, especially if the person was as was elderly and uh, ill, um, kind of helped them to to pass over to another state. I.e., <laughs> well, other words, kill them. But uh, he saw himself as as somebody who was bringing acts of kindness. And um, meanwhile, uh, you know that that particular author doesn't believe that the financial gain was his uh, final uh, destination or point of this all. Oh, of course not. Hmm. Uh, but he he died extremely wealthy. He he uh, he left uh, an estate worth one point five million pounds in today's money um, to uh, a friend of his because he didn't have any family, and and then this the estate was uh, actually donated to a charity. So overall, it was a good use of that money. But um, it was amazing if you read about his, and there's a lot of information online, of course, about the trials, how he could just escape um, being convicted as a murderer, considering all the evidence. Um, and I, I mean, admittedly, I don't really know that much about what kind of evidence is required in order to be convicted as a murderer. Um, but there was a lot of things that gone completely wrong and suspicious 
time and time again and their patients leaving him money and uh, dying within um, weeks and um, sometimes days after amending the wheels into to benefit him. Mm-hmm. What the author of one of the articles um, I've read concludes is that having gone through evidence, um, one of the um, prosecutors believed that Adams was a serial killer on an almighty scale, but there was no single piece of compelling evidence, just a mountain of suspicious circumstances. And uh, I think one of the main reasons or one of the uh, big help that, that, that he had during his trial was the fact that he was connected to um, rich and influential uh, people in, the t- in town. Um, and people in the government who wanted to protect him. And so they tempered with evidence and uh, even within the police uh, itself and helped him basically escape. Um, So there's a lot of controversy there. It's a great (laughs) little story that I found. Um, I highly recommend anybody who is interested to look up Mm. more about it. Um, And uh, it's... um, a case that portrays one of the doctors in this very um, unfavorable light. But we have to acknowledge these cases and say, yes, of course, everybody should be uh, held accountable um, to their um, actions. And the fact that he was a doctor and was able to prescribe all these deadly medications, you know, means that he should have been absolutely held accountable for for these. Terrible story. I mean, it's Mm. uh, like... like, work of fiction you don't think that could happen in real well world. yeah 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 so um as i was reading on i'm like oh bloody hell look at this <laughs> killer psychopath <laughs> makes you want to go to homeopath instead well the thing oh. is i i think we should we should acknowledge like i said we should accept responsibility and look at facts and not say oh well only because he was a doctor you know no. properly trained whatever that means properly trained doctor doesn't no. mean that but yeah there you go. Oh. Yay. Thank you very much, Yelena. Pleasure. Let's move on to the usual segment of uh, events happening in Europe. This time, there are not so many events. So uh, let's see who the hardcore skeptics are who, who are willing to dedicate their time to running and organizing events before Christmas. Yeah, so here in Christmas week, the most hardcore skeptic is Richard Wiseman, I think. He's going to Glasgow for some festive fun <laughs> on Monday the 19th. So uh, there we go. Not surprised, I have to say. Mm-hmm. But, uh, here in Brighton, there will be a screening, a movie screening as well. I don't know about you, but I have seen uh, this this movie. It's a very good one, produced by Brian Dunning from Skeptoid and the title is Here Be Dragons an introduction to critical thinking so if you're around the area come along and watch let's watch it together Um, and then also there'll be two events on Tuesday the 20th of December one in Salzburg Freilassinger and that's going to be a Skeptics in the Pub social and another one is going to be in Leicester Skeptics in the Pub uh, with Kevin Precious um, and the theme is The God-Shaped Hole and the Philosophy of Religion so those are the two events on the 20th, and that's it from me. Yeah. And apparently that's it for the whole week. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be a, a week of festivities, drinking, 
bubbly eggnog. and eggnog, yeah. <laughs> eggnog, yeah who, eggnog. Who, whoever, you know, pr- what prefers what. Uh, I prefer bubbly. Yeah, yeah. And oh, uh, yeah. spending enormous amounts of money on presents. I like that too, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, no, it's it's just unbelievable how crazy people can get. Yeah, well, me me and my husband opted out of Christmas. Well, we didn't have to opt in because we never had Christmas. But it's very <sighs> funny to look to watch other people run around like crazy people. I'm oh, going yeah. all in. You know, that's fun. I I like mm. it. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, I like I like the family gatherings. I like I like all the food. I like being being around people I love. Uh, I hate this this madness of fighting for for the presents and fighting for the christmas gifts to get them all and and i do like the the atmosphere of the, of christmas eve as well it's a good thing i i, I do like that mm-hmm. and i even don't have problems with uh, all the poems and singing all the the christmas carols or christmas christmas songs uh under the christmas tree it's it's a family tradition it's something yeah. i like don't mind it no i don't mind either or just drinking white wine in the sun that's <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh i like that song oh yeah oh drinking white uh, wine but in the sun. now that we mentioned the the christmas gifts i think it's worth mentioning that uh skeptica schweiz and especially uh the the, the president of skeptica schweiz uh, marko kovic wrote uh, yet another very interesting paper and this time it's about consumerism and christmas <laughs> yeah it's very interesting it's a very a highly recommended read we will add it to the show notes but let's move on and talk about a few things in depth uh a few things that are happening in europe i want to talk about um a PISA study, which is a program for international student assessment of 2015 that recently has been published by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, i.e. OECD. It's like OCD, but with the E in the middle. Um, <laughs> Not quite, but yeah, yeah, just go on. <laughs> This OECD organization is a unique forum where the governments of 34 democracies with market economies work with each other as well as more than 70 non-member economies to promote economic growth, prosperity and sustainable development. And um, over the past decade, uh, this PISA uh, assessment has become the world's premier yardstick for evaluating uh, the quality, equity and efficiency of school systems. Um, it identifies the characteristics of high-performing education systems um, and allows government to, uh, and educators to identify effective policies that they uh, can then uh, adapt to the local context. Um, and the latest PISA assessment in 2015 was focused on science, um, out of all things, um, because it, it is firmly believed, and I have to agree with that, that from taking a painkiller to determining what is a, a balanced meal, from drinking pasteurized milk to deciding whether or not to buy a hybrid car, science is ubiquitous in our lives. 
and science is not just test tubes and the periodic tables um, as it's often perceived. It is the basis of nearly every tool we use from a simple can opener to the most advanced the space explorer. And more important, science is not only the domain of scientists now. In the context of massive information flows and rapid change, everyone now needs to be able to think like a scientist, to be able to weigh evidence and come to a conclusion, um, to understand the scientific truth may change over time as new discoveries are made and as humans develop a greater understanding of natural forces. And that's what our program is all about, about mm -hmm. uh, bringing this uh, the information to the attention of our listeners. Um, and in, indeed, uh, the, the very important point, uh, I just want to repeat it again, that the scientific truth does change depending on new discoveries and new evidence presented. So this uh, survey was done um, on... Uh, approximately 540,000 students, so over half a million students were um, tested, 15-year-olds uh, um, who were about to finish their, their compulsory education. And it was tested uh, on the um, uh, following skills, uh, reading, mathematics and science subjects. The test was a computer-based test with some of the uh, questions, um, multiple choice questions and some of the written questions. Um, and basically, the results were published in the table. We, we will link it to the, uh, our notes later on. But what I wanted to talk about specifically is uh, top <laughs> top 20 countries that, that um, uh, tested really well and whereabouts the, uh, specifically uh, Europe stands. So um, interestingly enough, on the third place is Estonia out of all European countries. Um, which was um, I, I'm very surprised about. Um, don't know why. I mean, I, sh I should probably know more about uh, Baltic states because I came from one. But um, there you go. They're kind of leading the way. Uh, Finland is number five. Slovenia, 13. Uh, then United Kingdom, 15. Germany, Netherlands, Switzerland, Ireland, and Belgium, uh, respectively, up to the uh, number 20. Is this, um, uh, excuse me, is this uh, the, the overall scores? Yeah. So these, these so are the it's not, yeah, okay. Yeah. So like n number one is, let's say, 556 uh, points, which was a Singapore and then to number 20, which is Belgium with 502 points. So I just wanted to uh, to uh, bring the uh, the attention to the European countries because I didn't want to focus on the rest of the world too much. Um, although Singapore is leading the way, by the way, <laughs> in, terms of, uh, in terms of uh scientific education in schools, which... Yeah, I guess not surprising. Um, and um, Sweden, Latvia and Hungary <laughs> are below top 20, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, Sweden, Sweden is number 28, Latvia is number 31 and Hungary is number 35. Oh, that's depressing. Out of 50, out of 59. So not yeah. that great. Um, been, there's been, you know, when the last uh, PISA came out a couple of years ago, there was a big hullabaloo in Sweden because we'd fallen so behind. Yeah. We used to be, and I say we Swedes, yeah. we used to be on, 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 among the best. I mean, if you go back 20 years ago. Well, and now we're really not there anymore. But there was a little bit of an improvement yeah. this year, I believe. Well, I think... Um... With Sweden, and I, I, you, you can correct me if, if, if you think I'm wrong, um, 
a, a bit of the, of the of that will relate to, to social economic uh, and political situation that you've got there now especially with the increasing migration pop, migrants population uh, which of course will have overall results on on the, on those numbers and statistics in school um and um as as your population of migrants increase obviously more kids in school will be kids who who can maybe struggle with uh, speaking the language and picking up the classes etc so that will affect the overall scores but yeah uh latvia i'm not surprised i don't know andres if you're surprised with hungary results that they fairly not surprised um, but uh but slightly depressed um (laughs) And not just me. It's uh, there's there's a massive outcry about this uh, yeah. uh, from experts in education because uh, I'm I'm going to be criticized for the, for for my next comment because uh, there was some kind of criticism uh, towards uh, us sometimes jumping to statements, especially about politics. And that's probably mainly me talking about Hungarian politics. And I do admit that sometimes I can be very harsh uh, without putting uh, the actual evidence next to what I'm saying. But that's interesting because uh, what's going on in Hungary is much more complicated than that, uh, than, than just uh, bringing in one piece of evidence to, to why what's the what the government is doing is just madness uh it's like uh evolution it's not one piece of evidence it's an overwhelming amount of evidence that all points towards evolution being true so this in this context i'd like to say that uh, it's not a surprise because in the last couple of years uh what the, the hungarian government has been trying to do is to try to uh, formalize everything in the way that everyone follows what the government tries to feed them. And it was brought down to education, to the level of education as well. So all the the, the different types of books uh, have been wiped out and there is only one book that everyone has to use now. And the, the the basic idea is to learn what what you are being fed and not question anything that's what the direction of the educational system of hungary is now and that seems to be reflected in the pisa test results as well uh, and especially because as far as i know there was uh, uh, an extra segment of the new pisa uh, test which was a fourth area it's a collaborative problem solving, but but the results of that are not out yet. So I have no idea where we're gonna be on the list with that part of it. But uh, you're not optimistic. The other three, there have been huge drops in the last couple of years. So it's it's terrible what's going on, and that basically means that we can learn stuff. And people people in Hungary and and many many Hungarian people are still believing. In the past, that Hungarian education was excellent, and uh, Hungarians are very, very clever and smart, and and that they are celebrated for that all over the world. Uh, yeah, it's not true. Oh. Um, <laughs> Maybe they believe it because it's the first thing they read in this one book that they circulate. Exactly, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm I'm not kidding. So yeah. that is the case. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> 
Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that that's was... fine. Uh, we all probably will have, you know, I, ha I have my ideas about Latvian education because that's gone down the drain quite quickly as well. I mean, again, the political climate, economical climate has got such massive impact. I know how many people migrated from Latvia, so I don't even know who now is <laughs> being taught in schools. <laughs> but yeah. But Estonia is is massively praised for for being amazing. very progressive uh, yeah yeah they they really are doing like an amazing job obviously something is working there yeah. uh, out of all three baltic states i always thought of estonia as being uh, one of the most progressive ones i've obviously live living in latvia i've traveled to estonia and lithuania and uh, i enjoyed my visits to estonia much more than i did well and i you know, I'm not ashamed to say that. I, I think Estonia is a much better country than Latvia. <laughs> um, better organized, cleaner, more just pleasant to be in. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, now obviously it became apparent that, that the government of Estonia is really looking after their, their citizens. So the other thing I wanted to pick up on, uh, of course, is uh, something that I'm very passionate about. The um, uh, ratio between the boys and the girls in uh, those who uh, oh. take science classes and tests and uh, etc. And um, what really stood out, of course, um, I was looking for uh, m massive differences. Estonia is showing that 28.9% of the boys um, are in in interested in science compared to 20.3% of girls. So that's like 8% difference. Um, the remaining of the European countries are kind of there's always a a two point three point difference, but not not major. So the Finland got the, their um, uh, balance right. Uh, United Kingdom, uh, Netherlands, uh, Switzerland, etc. Um, and so actually is Sweden and Latvia. In, in fact, Latvia is a little bit the the girls' percentage is a tiny bit higher than boys' percentage, which I'm very mm -hmm. proud proud about. <laughs> But Hungary has got a massive divide. 23.9% of the boys are into science, whereas only 12.8% of the girls are. And I don't know what the propaganda in Hungary is about the science education. Maybe it is strongly boys-oriented and obviously pushed that way. But um, there's clearly something there, isn't there? Because there's a 10, 10 points difference or 11 points even. Um and um, out of all countries, I've, I've only been looking at the top kind of 30, 40, Poland stands out as one of the biggest countries where the girls' percentage is 11% more, more than boys. So the, the girls' participation in science uh, education is 26.8 and the boys 15.4. So way to go, Poland. <laughs> mm. um, I was very pleased about that. But yeah, I, I don't know, Andres, if you want to comment on the boys-girls division in Hungary, you don't have to. But um, well, I don't, I don't know. Um, be uh, because you, you, you have been uh, uh, part of the, the this kind of um, well science circles in in your school. Yeah, yeah, and uh, what I can do, but it's it's only anecdotal evidence, so I have well, no, I, I have so. no results uh, yeah, to yeah. to data to show. Uh, but for example. Uh, women and uh, and girls are massively underrepresented in in the skeptic movement for example in hungary yeah it's um it's it's very difficult to recruit women uh which is uh 
which is very sad. But mm. uh, what I think is a bit more of a problem in Hungary is segregation. It's not it's not uh, the gender uh, inequality in 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 this regard, but yeah. the social inequality. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. absolutely terrible, and the results yeah. are showing exactly that. Mm-hmm. And if our listeners want to pick specific country that they're interested in, that they're from, it's interesting to to maybe um, trace through the 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 numbers and see how they all related. Um, it became apparent, of course, from this report that China and Singapore lead the way, just by a mile, which is what we're seeing is happening in the in, in the world context, how uh, they are more and more uh, confident economically, politically. And um, yeah, soon enough, everything will be made in China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked a lot, a lot about data and information and uh, yeah, what we feel the problem is. Actually, this this report is saying that they're not, se- not going to say this is the reason why they're just saying these are the figures um these things work for these schools and certain things should be practiced to improve certain things and scores but actually you know all this other stuff that i'm i'm discussing you know about the migrants and uh, the inequality income inequality and uh, other, other problems that might might or might not be relevant so <laughs> yeah i think it's easy to have a lot of of uh, theories about yeah. why and i think also you could criticize i think it, this is a, a, a an honest attempt to do a comparison but it's always difficult to do i think very so much you so, have to take so. the the numbers a bit uh, you know with a grain of salt but i think it can show in the the big trends and the in the big picture i yeah. probably there's probably a lot in it but uh, yeah. it's hard to say yeah and uh, even skeptics keep saying that education is key yeah but how do we get there how, how do we get the results that we want to see it's very it's it's a very complex problem it's it's a very complex psychological problem it's it's about how people learn and uh yeah it's not it's just not easy yeah uh, it, it has to come from the top so the government has to make sure or need to put uh, education first and whatever and if it's driven by other things like profit and domination of the world yeah well it's driven, of course, it's politics, so it's driven by politics, not necessarily yeah. by evidence. You know, there's a lot of uh, absolutely so ideas that may not be, um, you know, scientifically based in, among politicians on how to fix this problem. And if you, you know, if you have, if if you're in a country where the different parties take turn on on having power, it can be very disruptive because each new government is changing everything. And changing everything, and then they're changing everything, and you know the poor schools don't know what to do. And evidence can sometimes be very inconvenient, uh, and sometimes even skeptics can get can get the facts wrong. Isn't that right, Pontus? Oh, nice segue. Because we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, Edzard Ernst, uh, who, of course, is uh, I mean one of the world's leading experts in on homeopathy uh, on and also a very 
of course, critical towards homeopathy, always have been, since he actually he actually started out as a homeopath, but then he, he, he realized what it was, and he's been very critical ever, ever since. But he posted on his blog a very interesting piece uh, about, um, it's called When Skeptics Criticize Homeopathy, They Are Often Wrong, is the title. And what he points out here is very important that what, skeptics often say and i can admit that i have said some of the, these things we are not actually correct in our criticism of homeopathy uh not that homeopathy suddenly is uh, some something that works but we should use arguments that are valid and we shouldn't uh, paint straw men because s several of these arguments and he lists seven arguments that are uh, probably straw men or uh, or incorrect. So let's just take them very quickly. He says, you know, one one statement is homeopathy is one single well-defined entity. That's not true. There are uh, several different kinds of homeopathy. There yep. he lists clinical homeopathy, complex homeopathy, and isopathy, which I didn't know. I don't still don't know exactly what it is. But I'm sure he's right that we are criticizing it in one way when there are actually many variants. Another thing that people, or we, often claim is that uh, homeopathy has never done anything good for in the world. And he says that's wrong because 200 years ago, um, homeopathy probably was very instrumental in challenging the medicine of that day, which were uh, not very good at all, and uh, <laughs> bloodletting and the like. <laughs> and that's interesting. So maybe homeopathy actually helped getting drilling holes, get, getting modern medicine where we are today, because they showed that you could challenge this. And then 200 years ago, I, I'm sure it was better to go to a homeopath than to a so-called real doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the, but the point remains that now it has been proven that it doesn't work. Correct. But the argument that it has never done anything good is maybe counterproductive. That's very true. And I, I think we've been talking about this uh, on, on several occasions at, at this very strong divide between, you know, people on one side of the fence and another side of the fence and everybody's fighting and everybody's shouting really loud. But actually we need to step back sometimes and say, look... There is probably something in, in every single, you know, like you said, we shouldn't be outright saying no, that's never done anything. Correct. Right. The, the third thing he says is that we often uh, say that no theories can explain how uh, homeopathy might work. And he says there's actually several theories, I, maybe it's hypotheses, uh, that could explain. However, it doesn't explain it very well, but there are those theories and we shouldn't say that there are no theories we often say also fourth thing that there's nothing in it but that's not entirely true a lot of uh, homeopathic remedies actually have active ingredients and they may actually do something to the patient maybe not good things maybe bad things i don't know but saying that there's nothing in it may not always be correct mm. also something that we hear all the time is that there is no credible ed evidence at all uh, that might support homeopathy. Actually, there are many well-conducted clinical studies that do show positive results. It's just that if you look at all of them, 
they are very, very in the minority, and you can probably assume that these are, you know, blips on the radar. It, it is uh, coincidences, etc. But to say that there is no credible evidence is actually not correct. There are credible ed evidence, but the total evidence still doesn't support homeopathy. You have to, uh, with with homeopathy, you definitely have to look through all the systematic reviews in order to see what the the problem is with it. So, of course, there are positive results. Of course, there are negative results are as well. Yeah, yeah, and as we know, those positive results are exploited by homeopathic practitioners all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but the problem is when when you are debating a homeopath, uh, and you say that there are there is no evidence that supports homeopathy yeah. to be working, then you are just making a fool out of yourself. Yeah, the yeah. moment yeah, sure. the other person, the homeopath, actually comes up with with positive results, yeah. which there are a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you, you, you the, the argumentation doesn't hold up, and you, yeah. you, you end up debating things which are actually beside the point in a way. Yeah. So you kind of discredit yourself. Yeah. Yeah. The last two points are, are important as well. Um, the the point that homeopaths uh, aim at deceiving their patients uh, because they have nothing to offer them. That's not uh, true. A lot of homeopaths actually do think that they are helping. So saying yeah. that they're all scam artists are not helping. And the last thing is that patients who use homeopathy must be stupid. And I think that's the one that I never say, but I, I know that others do say. And it's just counterproductive. So when arguing against homeopathy, we should be careful in using arguments that actually hold up. And I, he has a good point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And it's all about establishing the conversation and being kind to each other and listening to each other. Yeah, these are all good points. Yeah. It all comes down to it being a communicational challenge and uh, and task. That you want to communicate the problem. And it's very tempting to choose the easier way and dismiss everything just offhand and, and say that... Uh, that, that it doesn't work, there's no proof that it works, it doesn't do any good, anything else. But my favourite saying is, I think you'll find it's a bit more complicated than that. Yes, and we should remember that. Yeah, we should <laughs> yeah. remember that. There is a book by Ben Goldacre. Uh, it's a collection of his uh, essays and articles, uh, mainly uh, published on, in The Guardian. And uh, that is the title. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. yeah. it's very good it's a very good well thanks right. thanks to Edzard Ernst and Pontus Beckmann as well <laughs> oh thank you very much <laughs> and I'd like to thank uh, Index as well you probably remember me praising that news outlet from Hungary uh, this episode is uh, seems, seems to be all about Hungary <laughs> because an opinion poll came out um, on the 12th of December on the acceptance of alternative medicine and the like in Hungary. Uh, it was commissioned by Index. Uh, this, this is uh, one of the most popular news websites in the country. And the poll was conducted by phone calls on a, on a thousand-strong representative sample of the Hungarian population. Uh, and this is why the, the results are somewhat disturbing. What are those, the results, the actual results? The core statements to be polled were actually very interesting and a very well put together list of uh, of core statements. 
the first one went, there are many alternative treatments that are much more effective than the official medical treatment. And close to 60% agreed to some extent. Mm. Less than 5% had no idea <laughs> what to think. <laughs> and a mere 16.8% expressed their complete and utter disagreement with the statement. Mm. So that is somewhat disturbing because... Uh, but it's not surprising. That dismisses conventional <laughs> medicine. Yeah, it shows utter disappointment of the... Um, population la at large with current state of medicine which i think i um, yeah I've, I've certainly said not once that there was there's certainly problems in the medicine that needs to be addressed yeah but this is the other situation in which you can say it's a bit more complicated than that so the problems with uh the the healthcare system uh are not the problems with uh medicine in general it's 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 a practical problem that has has to be solved the right answer is not to to abandon it no no, just, or, just or no i'm that. not advocating for that at yeah, all. I, I, yeah i do know i do know that but yeah. uh but apparently it's not what the public yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. how the sure. public thinks um but when it comes to conspiracy thinking actually the situation gets even worse ah because 38 percent strongly agree that big pharmaceutical companies actively prevent cheap and natural treatments from spreading because they fear for their profits. Oh, don't get me started on the cheap and natural treatments. I know personally <laughs> people who chosen cheap and natural treatments that cost them £10,000. Come on. Or they, they, they chose uh, treat uh, cheap and natural treatments and they're already dead. Well, so listen, homeo homeopaths charge a lot of money. They're not free. I don't really understand where this idea of cheap comes from. That's, that's another thing. Oh, like. yeah. But the problem is that almost 70% could somewhat relate to this statement. Seventy percent. So that's um, so there. There was uh, five different answers that you could, they can get. That I strongly agree. I somewhat agree. I don't know. I strong. I somewhat disagree, or I strongly disagree. So this is this is how um, the answers came in. So there were two statements that uh, led the poll in terms of belief in their truthfulness. One goes: the majority of ailments are of mental origin. And should be treated accordingly. The majority of all ailments are mental. Yes. More Fantastic. than 43% of the population okay. strongly agrees with this. It's only in your head. So basically, uh, this is a, not a new, obviously, idea that um, all your illnesses come from your head. So if you like thinking negative thoughts or perceiving the way in a certain way, you get ulcers, cancers. It's all coming from your head. Yep. So 43% strongly agree. 34% somewhat agree and only a minuscule portion of, of, of uh, people strongly disagree, a bit yeah. more than 7%. Mm. And so, that comes to the <laughs> statement of, of think yourself well. So if, you, if yeah. only you thought, you know, right yeah, it goes. It, it ends up in victim blaming because if, you, yeah. if you're sick, it's your own fault. And if you could exactly. only be a little bit more positive, then you, will, you would be better... And exactly. you should try to think away it's, your cancer. Yeah, such a damaging ah. position to be in. It's uh, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, but and and we know exactly where this leads. So, so like uh, stuff uh, ranging from kinesiology uh, and uh, naturopathy. You, we just interviewed uh, recently interviewed uh, Brit Hermes, and uh, all the way to Germanic new medicine mm. with uh, with Hama. 
it's it's just terrible it it does so much damage and almost 80% of the population agreed with that and and that is shocking uh interestingly the other leading belief is that the key to general health is the regular detoxification of your body mm. oh it's became such a fashionable this detox crap <laughs> three quarters of the people polled did agree to that at least to some extent wow. so that is ah! <laughs> there are two two more statements in the poll uh that are a bit less disturbing uh when we think of the results fortunately more than 65 percent doubt the core claim of uh, uh, the anti-vaccination movement which is vaccinations cause more trouble than they have benefits and it looks like homeopathy is not that big a thing in my little home country after all wow. at least that's what the poll shows because the statement homeopathic remedies are more efficient than uh, their con- conventional counterparts was strongly agreed by uh, a thin 10% and somewhat agreed by another 25% this was the statement that had the most people puzzled 17% of the of of those uh, uh, asked had absolutely no idea what to think. But that's also disturbing because that means they don't know what homeopathy is and they just don't know how to answer. Yeah. Probably. So um, the, the interpretation uh, of of the results uh, by index went down as uh, uh, they probably don't even care. But that's not necessarily the case because it's sold in pharmacies. You can get homeopathic remedies everywhere. So it's it's I I do think it's very widespread. I think I agree with Pontus. You know, probably people just don't know what it is. Hmm. Yeah, but but they still use it. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they just don't think it's homeopathy. They they buy these um, pills or uh, sugar water and say. Yeah, 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 yeah. A pill is a pill. I mean, they don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me get back to uh, just for a moment to those against uh, vaccinations. Well. Even though the numbers are not very high, there are still around 27% of the people who believe vaccinations are a cause for concern in the sense that uh, they have potential dangers that do not count, uh, that are not countered by by their benefits. Although Hungary is very strict on vaccinations, which is a good thing, and for now that is. Um, a quarter of the population doubting its benefits, hmm. well, it's still something to be concerned about, I think. Because that means we, when when we take into account that a survey is supposed to be representative, that in Hungary about 2.7 million people debate the usefulness usefulness of vaccinations, and about a million of them think they're outright harmful. Yeah. So when you think about that, it's really disturbing, and that could translate into new legislations as well, which we all know that could mean in terms of public health, very very bad things in the future. We see that happening across the world, just. Yeah. Just, just look at what's going it's common, on. In, uh, uh, across things are just coming back. Yeah. With regards to detoxification, it's shocking that that uh, less than seven percent agree strongly uh, with what the scientific consensus is, mm. namely that detoxification in the popular sense is basically BS, and 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 your vital organs like your liver, your kidneys are, are the ones doing the lion's share of the work. Mm. Yeah. But let's put this uh, whole thing into perspective. One w- would think that uh, the more educated someone is, the more likely they are not to believe all this nonsense, right? Mm. Well, surprisingly enough... Not so. This oh. does not seem to be the case. Uh. What's more, uh, 
the acceptance of alternative medicine is higher among those with higher education background. Oh, no. But we've seen that before. I mean, I can't remember now, but that, that, that's... Uh, with I'm religion, not, no? No, because I think there, the theory behind that is could be that the, the more educated you are, the more you think that you know better than everybody else and you can decide for yourself what works or not. I think yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. I have to add that uh, among those with higher education background, the the proportion of skeptics is higher as well. Yeah. So th- what what is lowered among them is the proportion of people who have no idea. So um, the higher educated people are more opinionated. Yes. To put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, women and men believe equally, but men are more likely to be skeptical and women to be uh, undecided. Mm-hmm. Good old stereotypes seem to work pretty well here. <laughs> uh, but inactive people and stay-at-home mothers seem to be the greatest proportion of believers, which is uh, very, very concerning. Because no, they watch too much opera, that's all I've got to say. It's not... It's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not only that. Uh, if you think about that, more, they are the most targeted by quacks. Well. So, especially stay-at-home mothers. So, uh, young mothers are targeted by everything that is woo. And they want the best for their children. Yeah. So, no wonder they, they fall for it sometimes. Yeah. Geographically, there are no significant differences, but the age distribution seems to contradict our expectations of elderly people as well. Uh, namely, that elderly people are probably more prone to quackery. It doesn't seem to be the case. It probably has something to do with these ideas spreading in a new age wrapping, so to say, so that this is why probably um, younger people are much more ready to to soak them in. And to, to close this topic, let me just mention one more thing. It's a, a very interesting aspect. That is political leaning against alternative beliefs. No big surprises there. Uh, most party supporters polled around the average. That's that's no surprise. Uh, there are two parties that really stand out. The far-right Nationalist Party, Jobbik, with the most believers at almost 58%, and by far the lowest proportion of sceptics among them, at a bit more than 6%. Mm. With sceptics, it's about half the average. Mm. And uh, with with a 58% of believers, it's much, much, it's about 10% higher than the average. At the other end, the former Prime Minister's Democratic Coalition Party uh, seems to have an average percentage of the believers among them, but 31% of their followers appear to fall in the sceptic category, which is almost three times that of the proportion of sceptics overall mm. in, the, in the population, which is interesting. And that's very outstanding. And a fun fact to to finish this uh, segment on is that the former president of the Hungarian Skeptic Society is now among the leading politicians of that party too. <laughs> <laughs> Since he left skepticism, he went into politics and uh, he's among the most prominent uh, figures of that party. 
<laughs> so that's where we stand now in Hungary, apparently. Interesting. But but that party is supported by about five percent of the population. I, is this uh, data available in English somewhere? No, unfortunately not. But uh, I'm thinking of writing it up in English since uh, since I I've done my uh, research today. The problem is that the original is not available either. It's uh, it's the article that. Uh-huh that came out uh, using the the actual data so it's not the original source it's it's a first in- interpretation that that we could find yeah so this is where we stand it would be interesting to see how other countries are doing in that regard but uh, it's it's not easy to to get the same questions the I th- same i think something tells me that latvia probably would be polling the same figure well roughly the same figures There's, there'll be a lot of people in support of homeopathy um yeah disappointed with general medicine etc that's the feel i had when i left the country yeah i mean now now they have we have this data we we need to the next step is okay what can we do (laughs) yeah by the way the swedish skeptics did a survey with some similar questions and that is available yeah yeah uh, i remember we could link to that yeah okay well pontus yes uh i would really like to know who's been really wrong lately mm. or has there been anyone really right as well They're both there people are wrong and they are right uh, and i will talk i'll have two examples for you the first one will seem and it's sort of a theme over the last three times more quackery news from sweden unfortunately okay so this time is from it is from the south of sweden where the local public health services had a psychologist employed a couple of years ago that privately offered and sold healing treatments to patients who she was treating in the public clinic so she had a official job at the public health but she she sold them uh, uh, bogus uh, healing treatments on the side. It, so it was a couple of years ago, but it just came to to public knowledge right now. That's why I'm talking about it. They used the uh, the institution itself as the as the spider's web. So like yes, <laughs> catching the flies. Exactly. She was a regular uh, psychologist. People thought employed by the public health services, but she used it to to sell her own treatments and the treatments uh, were following the teachings of access consciousness have you heard about that sounds very familiar there might be more than one variety i'm sure sounds very fishy as well yeah fishy it is um it's a sect-like movement it was founded in the 80s by a former scientology member called gary douglas so just like any Scientology uh, person, he was very skeptical uh, towards uh, evidence-based psychology. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, then it makes it even more alarming that some people actually get uh, a formal psychology education and still believe in this uh, bullshit. So if you are an access consciousness follower, uh, you claim to cure not just severe psychological problems, but also cancer problems and other physical diseases. There we go. By by hand healing and touching the patients. This was revealed in an excellent TV show on seventh uh, of December uh, by a journalist in the TV program called SVT Hidden, or Dold in Swedish. 
SVT is the Swedish public service broadcasting company. So it was really an undercover operation. And he also talked to former victims who came forward and, and talked about how they were tricked into this. Um, they, he also looked into the whole access consciousness movement uh, and found it's all the trademarks of a sect with secret doctrines, harassing members who's trying to leave. And it also heavily promotes sexual relations between the practitioners and, uh, and the patients. Uh, because sex is supposed to be a very positive force that will lead to well-being even if, and this is quite disturbing, even if you're not really turned on or willing or attracted to the other person, you should have sex because that's such a pos positive force. Okay, uh, when when he started the sentence, I was going to say that uh, we probably all agree on that. But then, then the way you finish the sentence, <laughs> you yeah. overturn the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I think you should be willing and uh, turned on and <laughs> attracted to your partner before you, uh, yeah, engage in sex. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably. Yeah. It's just my opinion. <laughs> so they talked to other experts on sects in this program, and um, there is um, really a lot of um, things pointing towards that this is a sect where the people who started it partly at least wanted to to have sex with other people and that's why they started it or one motivation so the reason why they started is they wanted to get laid yeah. they wanted to get laid but so many so many things do start that way yes <laughs> you're quite right but yeah. i should point out to, to just to be fair in this particular swedish case there were no uh, signs of, of uh, sexual uh, taking advantage of uh, the patient sexually. But uh, it seems to be a running theme in, in the sect. This person also disturbingly is no longer employed in Sweden. Well, that's not disturbing, but uh, she is still an active psychologist. And now she is practicing in Austria, Europe. So she's moved to another country. Oh, infecting other countries. Yeah, not uh, good at all. So, access consciousness, which is was a new concept for me, there is bullshit, I think, and is today's scam, quackery, fraud winner, whatever I call this segment nowadays. Yeah, gradually <laughs> yeah. losing its title. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I, I should point out also, we talked about the survey before. We sometimes we we got there was one comment saying that we make fun of uh, believers sometimes. And I, I, I certainly don't want mean to do that in, in, in a segment like this. Uh, I, I, on the contrary, I think uh, these were very brave people who got scammed into this and they were very brave when they came out and, 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 and told, told this uh, uh, journalist about what they've been victim too because it's uh, it's very sensitive and you would feel very stupid but they are not stupid at all they were just being taken in because they were in uh, in a desperate place and they had uh, they they were just uh, taken in by by a scam person i think so i don't mean to to blame the victims at all here yeah i don't i don't think we we often laugh at people for believing in things the the people we try we we sometimes make fun of are more more the scammers yes yes absolutely and i don't see a problem with that because 
they deserve even even yeah. even worse because than that. E- so <laughs> yeah, because even if they are believers, that's yeah. a totally different thing. Because if yeah. you go against all evidence practice, uh, evidence based practice, and 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 are charging pa- patients privately on the side, uh, you should. You you have enormous responsibility and should yeah. really know that you're doing something really wrong. And we go back <laughs> to that one. Yeah. But not to be too uh, negative here, I actually want to talk about somebody who's really right as well. Oh, good. And that's somebody I mentioned two weeks ago, uh, but they are doing more things. This is Viral Granskaren, or the Viral Monitor, which is this standing column in the Swedish edition of the newspaper Metro. Uh, since I talked about them last, they have gone, uh, taken two steps further, actually. And they have now launched a plugin for uh, Chrome, the web browser, which automatically will alert you if you surf into a website which is on their list of questionable sites. Just a warning, but uh, it's a very good thing. Uh, and they have done another thing. Uh, and that is that they will turn three years, the, this uh, Viral Ganskana, they will be uh, have their three-year th- three anniversary on the 13th of March. So they have announced that to be Critical Thinking Day. And they aim to target both internet and Swedish schools and have some public events on that day to celebrate their anniversary. That's very good. So they're really showing a dedication to combat false news and misleading information and for that i'm presenting viral granskaren or the viral monitor with today's prize for being really right good stuff congratulations there is hope in the world that's really very good yeah. and um i i've i was wondering that plugin in what sense uh, do you think it's different from like web of trust it, it's different in that they, well, the organs gonna have over the c- last couple of years built up a list of of uh, websites that they can prove or can point to, saying these mm-hmm. are often misleading. So this this plugin will only warn you if it's on that list. Okay, yeah. which is which is uh, probably for the best. I mean, uh, the problem with Web of Trust is that. Web of Trust is, uh, I mean, I'm all for democracy, but uh, Web of Trust can be can be altered by anyone. Yes. So if yeah. a skeptic, a skeptical website uh, is uh, uh, marked as uh, unreliable by someone else, yeah, on Web of Trust, then it will it will show as unreliable. Yes. But uh, but on the other hand, this thing will be uh, more limited. It will probably be a lot of Swedish sites. It's not very. I don't think it's very useful internationally. This uh, plugin for the time being, but, but the idea could be. The idea could be, and Metro is a an international newspaper with with editions uh, in many countries. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that they will take this to an international level and export this uh, viral monitor to the other countries as well. Hope hope we will see that. Sounds very good, and uh, it's a it's a brilliant idea. Um, yeah, it's probably not even that that difficult in terms of uh, programming if someone no, someone knows so knows how to do it. So yeah, folks out there, <laughs> if you want to do something, <laughs> that, yeah. this is a get, good thing to start. Contact with. your local metro 
and ask yeah. them to do this like they do it in Sweden. I think that's uh, that could be an idea. There is definitely Metro in, in London. Yeah. And start collecting those websites um, and start consulting experts on uh, which websites are actually really unreliable. Mm. Great. Excellent. Congratulations to the Viral Monitor. Thank you very much, Pontus. Well, that brings us closer to the end of our episode. And, uh, of course, we cannot close the episode without a quote. So today's quote uh, comes from Charles Darwin. I know I have quoted him before, but I think he said a few good things in his time. He said, Ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. It is those who know little, not those who know much, who so positively assert that this or that problem will never be solved by science. There you go. Mr. Charles Robert Darwin. The hero. The hero. There are two people uh, from the history of science I would really like to meet in person. Uh, and it's impossible. One of them is Charles Darwin. The other one is Galileo Galilei. The, the latter, as far as I know, he was a prick. But, uh, <laughs> but you would meet him anyway. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I, I think Newton has a reputation of being being a massive prick as well. <laughs> but still, still had great ideas, those those people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, on this note... <laughs> maybe maybe it should be maybe it should be separate segment. Who yeah. you would like to have... Prick of the week. Yeah. Prick, of, prick the of the week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me in many, on many occasions. Probably. No, Andres, there's definitely many more people who qualify for this title every day oh. in the world. Oh, you haven't ever seen me try really hard. Well, I can think of one person who qualifies every day, so... He lives in America and he's orange colour. Ah. ah, the orangutan. Oh, <laughs> the orange orangutan. Now that really brings us to the end of the show. And I would like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been a pleasure, guys. Nice to be back. Yeah. Good to have you back. And from now on, it's all three of us for a while, at least. Um. <laughs> for the next two weeks, and then Anders won't yeah. be on again. But until next week, goodbye. 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 Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rubb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe 
that are more efficacious, okay, sorry, efficacious than efficacious, effing, effing, maybe? Okay, <laughs> there are more effective, okay, 